The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Hey everyone, this is Sarah Carter and I am coming to you from my home studio. Should I call it my lockdown COVID-19 Wuhan virus studio or should I now call it my bunker? My bunker because now there's riots. I mean, this is so unbelievable what we are facing as a nation. So extraordinary. I mean, what do we say? What do I say to you? A week ago, you and I were both frustrated trying to figure out like our business is going to come back what's going on with the coronavirus issue uh will dr fauci and dr burks give us the thumbs up that we can you know get back out on the streets and be normal and find our normal lives i I can tell you you know that as soon as we started going through the phase one here in virginia my husband and i and annalise we you know we donned our masks for a little bit uh, went downtown. Uh, there was, you know, the weather was fantastic. It was beautiful. Nobody was inside a restaurant, but the outdoors were open and it was really beautiful. They shut off part of Old Town. It's a the part of Old Town, Alexandria, the street down there, King Street, which is right by the Potomac River. They shut that part of the street down that edges right towards the river. And everybody put out their tables and people were eating and talking and walking their dogs and, you know, just being normal again, just taking a deep breath. No, not a COVID-19 breath. No, not a coronavirus breath. Just a deep, beautiful breath in 80-degree weather with nice winds blowing, keeping their distance, and just enjoying a little bit of life. Saying, you know, taking our kids out from this lockdown. And then what happens? Such a horrible, horrible, horrible tragedy, right? We can't even begin to explain that horrific death of George Floyd. You know, people called him the gentle giant. Here's a guy who passes a $20 counterfeit bill. Probably doesn't even know. I don't know. What do I know? Uh, Who knows? I don't even know when I have a $20 counterfeit bill. By the way, just so you all know, in Iraq, in Iraq, this is really interesting. They just won't take big bills. I I had $100 bills. I was going to pay my uh, camera guy, and then there was an interpreter that I was working with. And I was going to give him the $100 bills to pay him in cash while I was in Iraq for his work for me. And he was like, oh, uh -uh, not taking it. I'm like, I just got them out of the bank. He goes, yeah, but everybody thinks American money's counterfeit, so no one will take the money here. So you have to, like, get it for me in, like, dinars, you know, Iraqi dinars. So here's poor George Floyd. You know, he pays for something with this $20 counterfeit bill. And the next thing we know is that this human being this this man who is by all means not aggressive doing what the police the Minneapolis Minneapolis police have asked him to do has this Minneapolis police officer with his knee on his neck and i think like all of you i just watched the, if you watched the video i watched it in sheer horror and wonder Like, what the heck is going on here? How do you keep your knee on someone's neck for over eight minutes, not even have any expression, just kind of ignoring all the pleas of all the people on the street around you? And I think for the most part, for the most part, almost every American felt the same way we do when we saw this video. For people who saw this, they were just stunned. It was just wrong. It was unimaginable. George Floyd needs justice. We all felt this way. We all felt this like, 
horror and sadness for this man who lost his life. What we were dealing with and what we are dealing with is a nightmare. It is a nightmare from which I am trying to figure out how we as a country recover. We will, but this is like the perfect storm, the perfect storm. We have over 40 million Americans, some of you out there, just like me, worried, worried. Will we have work tomorrow? Will we still have advertisers? Will, we st- or will our business stay open? Will we be able to afford to pay uh, for our employees? Uh, you know, 40 million Americans applying for unemployment. Believe it's going to grow to 20% unemployment in this country. Can you believe that? Can you even fathom that when we were at the lowest point of unemployment in early January? Can you believe this? And then we were just inundated, right? Every single day, virus, it's going to kill, it'll kill, it'll kill. It's going to kill your grandparents, going to kill your parents. It's going to kill people who are sick, going to kill people with underlying medical conditions. You got to stay home, lock down, businesses shut down. Never in American history have we experienced this. Doctors on TV every day, Burks and Fauci, we would have never known their names had this not happened. You know, most of us would never know who they are. Uh, you know, advising us every single day, you got to stay indoors. Governor Cuomo, you got to stay indoors. Uh, you know, the Virginia Governor Northam, indoors. Uh, Ron DeSantis, what what are you guys doing? We got sunny weather. We're going to let people outdoors. No, wait, now you're indoors. Everybody was confused. California, the same way. Indoor, outdoor, indoor, outdoor. Everybody's confused. Everybody having nightmares. How many stories out there did the AP, Reuters, everybody post? Americans were waking up in the middle of the night, all having similar dreams, nightmares, lot job loss, viruses. This is just like a sci-fi movie from hell. Sci-fi movie from hell, right? And then you got everybody stressed out, people living indoors for all these months, getting cabin fever, just like so frustrated. Please let me out of the house. Please let me out of the house. Phase one happens. We all kind of get out. Well, some of us do. Some of us don't. It's everybody's choice. Some of us go out downtown, have a drink. What's funny, I'll put this part in, but, you know, downtown um, Virginia, you can get drinks to go. Although they have signs everywhere that say you cannot drink in public. Even though you get your drink to go, nobody's, like, actually really listening to that. And you see people everywhere with, like, coffee cups with, like, you know— a Cosmo in it or a vodka tonic or a beer. I'm like, that is not a coffee. It's what? a, it's a, Adam? it's a virtual, it's basically a block party everywhere you go here in Northern Virginia right now. Right. Yeah. Right. Because people are just like, I want to get out of the house. I want even in neighborhoods. Right. Speaking of which, speaking of which going back to the riots and what's been happening here, because I just touched on George Floyd. I touched on the perfect storm. I pray for George Floyd and his family. My gosh, what they have been through, his family. You know, speaking out publicly and telling people, please stop rioting. You have Antifa out there. You have these uh, other uh, militant groups. You have these white supremacists. We have, like, people coming out of the woodwork, you know? And, and they're violent, and they don't care about their actions and what they're doing. They're living in the, it's mob rule, mob mentality, dangerous, dangerous stuff. We saw what happened in Washington, D.C. We saw what happened with the beautiful church near the White House. We're seeing what's happening, for crying out loud, at Macy's in New York City and all of the shops that have just been looted and destroyed in L.A., here, all across the board. And then my daughter My daughter goes on her Facebook, right? And she's like, oh my gosh, mom, you should see this post that's going around. I just saw it. And it's this post, I don't know who it's from. I mean, it it does have a name there, but I think that it, I I don't want to attribute it to this group because it may be a lie. Maybe somebody posing, but, or just scaring people. But, you know, imagine, you know, you're a young college student and you get a post that says, we will be assassinating white families until justice is served. We will set up in white neighborhoods and cities. 
It's time to take action. All white people must pay for their sins. They are evil and jealous human beings. Let's see you mourn over your uncooked disease, having families for once, white babies, old white people, lawyers, police, etc. P.S. There are over 100 of us and the mission will be done. So here's my, you know, my daughter, my college age, young college age student, just so scared seeing a post like that. And then all of a sudden we're getting posts, you know, out there on Twitter from Antifa, apparently. Apparently this is an Antifa post. And I say that just because I'm not 100% sure. We can't verify this, right? 100%. But it says, tonight's the night, comrades. Tonight we say, and I'm only going to say F because this is a family show. Kind of, not really, but, you know, for people. F the city, and we move into residential areas, the white hoods, and we take back what's ours. So they're going to, you know, there were all these posts that saying, you know, let's go out into suburban neighborhoods. Let's target homes. Let's set them on fire. We have to take a deep breath, people. We have to take a deep breath and realize that we are one country, that you and I and our brothers and sisters and our men and women in uniform, whether they're law enforcement or whether they're in the military, and now we see the National Guard on the streets. I mean, I I don't know, Jenny, Adam, but it feels like I am in a movie that I cannot wake up from, and my friends are sending me stuff from Columbus, Ohio, got National Guard all over the streets in Columbus, men with guns. You know, I spent a lot of time, my husband's military. I spent a lot of time in war zones. It actually looks a bit like a war zone, I, I have to say. This looks like a war zone in some of our cities. Do you guys feel this way? I, I can't. I've never seen anything like it. Um, I was just really young when uh, the Rodney King riots were happening. And uh, now my cousin is out in Los Angeles and he was doing like a Facebook live video where he was literally out there and you just saw a presence of tanks and a line of policemen almost just like looking like, you know, Tiananmen Square. And it, it's not what they were doing. It was the way that the, it was like what was about to come and people were running. Now you got people saying, light them up. You got them light, yelling, light them up in the cities uh, for just people standing on their front porches. I, what movie I is th- like, what movie is this? Seriously? I don't know. I don't know. And I, I do recall the riots in the 1990s in LA because I lived there and I was actually at my first year of college at UCLA And I remember when they broke out, how horrified everyone was because nobody knew really what was going on. You know, we're all young and we knew what happened. We understood Rodney King, but the the percolating hate, the anger that was coming from inside the city. And I had volunteered time inside the inner city. I used to work off of Crenshaw Boulevard. I used to do, uh, I worked at a church where I would volunteer time teaching acting and music to young kids, foster kids, um, the Boys and Girls Club, not far off St. Andrews in Hollywood. I remember working there as a volunteer. And then I remember when the riots broke out. And I remember getting ready to head home, this one particular memory, I mean, businesses were on fire. There were explosions. People were ripping the bars off of the businesses. I I vividly, vividly remember right now watching as people were running out of Neiman Marcus down Wilshire Boulevard. I believe it was Neiman Marcus. Yeah. Just piles of clothes in their hands. I remember that. that I I do remember remember seeing those types. I see it with my eyes. So, can I ask you then if you right. remember this so vividly? And I was just, I mean, I, I, I don't, we're not that much different in age, by the way, folks. <laughs> but I, 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 don't, I just don't remember it as well. Do these riots compare? I mean, is this worse? Is this, I don't want to say, uh, it's definitely not better. But I mean, I just remember that that was like the worst riot that in, in our kind of generation. And I think maybe these now are definitely taking over that title. Well, these are different, right? Because what you had inside South Central at the time, and from my feelings of, you know, my memories of it and what happened, um, and I remember, you know, people were so angry that even I was targeted. We were, I was driving down uh, Wilshire Boulevard, heading back home to my family lived in San Bernardino, and I uh, was going to my mom's house from UCLA, and these girls had a sign on their car that said, um, kill all the white people. 
which was like, and I looked over and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, my mom's Cuban, you know, I've got, I've got West African blood in me. Right. You know, I'm thinking like, why are you, why are you guys taking it out on everyone else? But they looked at me, they looked at me and it was over. They were chasing me down the street. They were going to come get me. There was, um, an elderly man, I remember, African-American man standing on the street. And it was as I was turning, I, I think it was La Cienega to get on the freeway. Or it might not have been La Cienega. I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember. But I was turning to get on the freeway. And um, he's there was a red light. He stopped them. As they got out of the vehicle, I was trapped at a red light. I couldn't get around the other traffic. He started yelling at them. He asked them what did they think they were doing. He could tell they were coming towards the car. I mean, it was just people were were being – their actions were just by their emotions. There was no mind thought in it. It was just – mob rule you know i'm angry i'm upset i want to get people back and i see that here but there's a different element here and one of the things that i've noticed is this antifa right and social media so for example back then there wasn't the social media you didn't have this ability to communicate with such a big wide vast network of people right here on the spot right if i want i can organize a movement from Twitter, you you know, with my Twitter handle, right? With that's what people are doing. Or they could go on Facebook or Instagram and they can get a message out and activate a lot of young people. So even though it was really bad back then, there was there was a different set of circumstances in a way. The feelings were the same, the feelings of anger, of not being treated equally, of not being heard. That's understandable. But remember, a lot of people in South Central, a lot of people in L.A. during the time of those riots in the 1990s, they came out, whether you were African-American, Chinese, or white, it didn't matter. People were coming out and saying, please stop destroying the businesses in our neighborhood. This is our neighborhood. We're seeing that now in New York. You know, stop destroying the businesses in the most impoverished neighborhoods. What are we going to do? How are we going to rebuild? How are we going to rebuild if you do this? to us. What are you going to do if your business goes down? What am I going to do if I lose my business? This is what's so frustrating right now. And I think for a lot of Americans right now, it's like, how much more of this are we supposed to take? How much more can we handle? We need leadership. I was grateful that President Trump came out and spoke, but it was also a little bit frustrating Because I wanted more than that. I want some unity. I want, I want leadership to be able to communicate what we are feeling as a people, that frustration. We understand that there's bad guys out there. They need to be arrested and they need to be taken into custody. And anybody that loots, burns somebody business down, attacks innocent bystanders, because what I saw in the streets, when those young men, attacked that woman defending her business and pummeled her in the face and then hit her over the back with sticks. And where was that again, Jenny? I just can't get that video out of my head. Um, Do you remember where that happened? Was that in Pittsburgh? I can't remember if it was Pittsburgh or Atlanta. I'm going to look that up right now because I I just, I can't. um, I'll find it for you. Yeah. Could you look that up for me, Adam? Could you find out where it was? Because when I saw that yesterday, I mean, I just about lost it. And I feel the same way you do. I'm like, what am I going to do with my poor daughter? And I could tell you, you know, I have a seven-year-old daughter, and it was my birthday this past weekend. Not going to give away my birthday age, but (laughs) we all went out, and the family, we went hiking, and then we went downtown to another little downtown area on Sunday after we went hiking together. Um, and we went and got, a, you know, some uh, snacks and a juice uh, in this downtown area, which is outside of Washington, D.C., and you could feel the tension, right? But people were good to each other. People were saying, hi, how are you? You know, but every once in a while, people would say, was this the end of the world? What's going on here? And you could hear that, that underlying tension that people had this feeling that things were just not right. And that was tough. And I don't know if you found that, Adam, yet. You know, here's the thing. Uh, I pride myself here at TTR Studios uh, at being professional and being able to find pretty much anything whenever you need it. 
There are so many links of basically people getting beat up that I can't decide which one you're talking about. So I'm sorry. Exactly. I don't know. I really don't know. Right. Right. So this isn't just me. Here's this woman, you know, getting beat up. And, uh, and here's these groups like Antifa and other groups out there that are instigating other leftist groups, other, in, I want to call them, they use similar tactics that insurgencies use, by the way, which was really interesting because that's something that actually the attorney general and law enforcement officers brought up. It was actually very interesting that they have scouts on bicycles. That's something I dealt with in Mexico all the time with the drug cartels. They would have, you know, they picked up on a lot of the same tactics. So, Adam, when you asked me earlier, when you asked me earlier, do you know what what was this? What were the similarities? What were the differences between you know the 1994 riots, right, and what happened? What happened over the last three days? That those are the differences. You know that those tactics were not being utilized. That I remember, it was just reaction, right? Reaction, anger, reaction, uh, a, a surge of anger, and then everybody kind of took a step back and said, "Well, wait a minute, what are we doing?" We got to calm down. Local leadership got involved. People started talking to the youth. There was an understanding that there was a lot of work to be done in America. There was a lot of prejudice still in America. There was a lot of anger still in America from the past and that we had to work on it. But now we're seeing a lot of tactics that are being used by groups like Antifa and these leftist groups. And by the way, they adopt similar tactics that are used by the drug cartels and insurgencies. It's crazy. It's like, you know, when I'd go to Mexico, one of the things I would always look out for are people that we kind of nickname Los Venta La Ventana or the Ventanas, you know, or um, uh, Los Ojos, Los Espejos. You know, they're looking at you all the time. They're, they're the windows, right? They're looking through the window at you and they're reporting back to the drug cartels, the leadership. You know, hey, someone new is in town. They're in the Placita. I haven't seen them here before. They look different. You don't want to. They're reporting back. Oh, there's three cops standing right here. Oh, the border patrol is right there. In Afghanistan, it would be the same with the Taliban. The Taliban would have, you know, people a little mopeds. You know, they would move messages back and forth between the villages on their little motorcycles, right? They that's how they would do it instead of on the phone where they could be intercepted or caught. Well, we're seeing this now. We're seeing these groups utilizing similar tactics. So those are the differences. And I'm scared for my child. You know, nobody wants to go into a city, you know, go shopping with your child or, you know, go to buy groceries or, uh, you know, just have spend the day outside. And then all of a sudden there's a riot and you're in the middle of it. How am I going to get out? And, and we also can't live in fear 24-7. So something has to be done. And we need leadership. And I understand why the president and why William Barr did this, because they are really concerned and they're saying, this is it. We're calling the National Guard and anybody who crosses this line will be arrested. You will be taken into custody. I was also very confused because I didn't know if I had a 7 p.m. curfew or not. And I was listening and I still couldn't figure it out last night when they were talking about curfews and whether or not we were going to get the National Guard out on the street and whether or not if you didn't get the National Guard, you, we were going to call in the U.S. military. I felt very confused. And if I was confused, I'm sure the rest of you were confused as well. I'm sure it wasn't just me. Maybe it was just me. Who knows? But I'm sure it wasn't just me. Um, so there are a lot of things that need to be done. The most important thing now, I believe, and I think is absolutely necessary, is that the president and the administration reach out now across the aisles and we find a way to unify. We find a way to unify. And we don't allow these things to happen. I want to play you first the clip of President Trump. If you could do that, Adam, this was President Trump yesterday um, when he went to the Rose Garden to speak to the nation about the rioting. Today, I have strongly recommended to every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers that we dominate the streets. Mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence until the violence has been quelled. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them.
Hmm. There you go. I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm back and forth, right? Because my husband's in the military. And I understand what military, what they are designated to do and how they are designated, you know, their their whole mission, you know, is to go overseas and fight an enemy, to fight the enemy. I don't want to see the enemy in our country. I don't want that. I want us to find a way to unify. I want us to find a way to expose what's really happening here and who is creating this great divide and who is posting all of these horrible, threatening messages And for those people that want to destroy other people's businesses that they worked so hard for their whole lives and who want to destroy cities, you will be arrested. You will be taken into custody. But we all want this to end. I know you want this to end. I know I want this to end. I just want to move on. And I also want to respect George Floyd and his family and remember him. You know, if they called him the gentle giant, and just like his brothers said and his family said, do you think he would want us tearing each other apart in the streets in his name? No, no, he wouldn't. And I, you know, it's just, it's just unacceptable. It's just wrong. But it's also unacceptable the way we treat each other and how we've been treating each other and how divided our nation has become. And I want us to find a way. I mean, and I don't know what that's going to take. Is it going to take all of us just to stand up and say, wow, we need to take a step back. We need to take a deep breath. We need to remember that it's us. It's us. It's America. That we're one country. That when my husband goes to fight overseas in Afghanistan, it doesn't matter what religion, what color, where you're from. When you're serving together and you're fighting for the United States, why can't we fight for each other that way? Why can't we take a moment to fight for each other that way? Why are we always spewing so much hate? And that, that hate grows and that hate permeates. And that's what we saw when that police officer put his knee on George Floyd's neck. And that is unacceptable but it is also unacceptable the way we have reacted and what we have done to each other and tearing each other apart. Look, we don't need enemies. We don't need Russia. We don't need China. We don't need Iran. We're doing it to each other. They're just sitting back. We're tearing each other apart. We have to stop it. We have to stop it. We have to stop this madness. You know, last week I interviewed... Uh, Dr. Samadhi, uh, he is a great doctor, and I was talking to him, of course, about coronavirus and COVID-19 and what was happening with a president and, you know, hydroxychloroquine and whether or not those studies, you know, that are coming out now are more valid or less valid than the studies before and all of the stuff that we seem to have forgot over the last four days, all of the issues of coronavirus and the over 100,000 people, by the way, that's the statistics. I mean, you know, we're still trying to figure all those out, how accurate those numbers are, but that's the statistics right now that over 100,000 people in the United States have died of COVID-19. So that's where we were. Now, Dr. Samadhi, of course, I wish he was with us today. I'm sure he would, I could ask him so many questions about what's happening here, but he does talk in this interview about mental health issues um, due to the lockdown and the stressors that the lockdown has had on us physically and mentally. And I think that's something that we need to be thinking about, folks, because maybe some of this reaction that we're seeing in the streets, this tension, this buildup, this horrific divide that we are feeling is partially to blame too on these lockdowns and dealing with coronavirus and, you know, going cabin crazy or getting cabin fever or whatever that is. And all of us trying to figure out, and also the fact that so many people in the United States of America, by the way, George Floyd was one of them, you know, have lost their jobs, have lost their jobs. They're just trying to find some money to put food on the table. That's it. I want to feed their kids. You want to feed your kids. I want to feed my kids. Worried. But what's going to happen? People are losing their jobs. By the way, people are losing their jobs everywhere. 
It's not just, you know, manufacturing or, you know, the stores that have shut down. But even in the even in journalism, even, uh, you know, in the cable news sector. So everybody's worried. Everybody's worried. So I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. And I want to hear from you. And I want you to hear Dr. Samadhi because he gives some solutions. He talks about what we need to do to get better, to get healthier, to be able to move forward. And I know that this painful moment in our history will end and we will be better on the outside of it, on the outcome of this craziness and this madness. We will be better people because I believe that. Well, here is Dr. Samadhi. He's a renowned and highly successful urologic oncologist expert and robotic surgeon in New York City. He had a phenomenal show on Fox News. Uh, He was Fox News medical expert every Sunday. I used to watch him and Dr. Mark Siegel every single Sunday. And he should be getting another show soon. So I'll be watching him again, and he'll talk all about that in the interview. Thank you again. You won't want to miss this interview with Dr. Samadhi. Hello, Dr. Samadhi. Thank you so much for being with us here today at the Sarah Carter Show. I really appreciate it. I know you are uh, in the great city of New York, and I wanted to start off with that. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, New York City and, of course, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, the recent news uh, about the nursing home crisis uh, where we've seen patients, you know, basically transferred uh, from the hospital into nursing homes and I want to play you a clip before we get started and this is Governor Cuomo. Adam, can you play it? The obligation is on the nursing home to say I can't take a COVID positive person. I'm too crowded. I'm too busy. I don't have enough PPE. Whatever the answer is. doesn't even matter. It's if they say I can't take the person, they can't take the person. So that's, that's how it works. So basically, Governor Cuomo is blaming the nursing homes, even though the state was pushing for these patients to go into the nursing homes. Can you talk a little bit about that, Dr. Samadhi? What do you, well, what's your I take think on that, this? Yeah, this was a big mistake because you the first rule of any kind of uh, infectious disease is to isolate and contain the disease. You never mix good and bad. You don't put positive COVID patients back to nursing home. We know that the nursing home was a ground zero. It started off from ground zero in nursing homes. So this was a really hot zone for us, not the schools. What we did, that, which, which was completely a mistake, was we closed the school, we kept our nursing home completely wide open and mixed up all these good and bad and ugly, all a mess, and that's what it became a problem. There was absolutely no reason to push back the positive uh, COVID patients back to nursing home. And the reason is because we had 3,000 new beds in uh, Javits Center. We had another 1,000 uh, by the comfort ship. Uh, there was so much pressure on the hospitals to double the volume of the, the, the patient's bed, and that was all done. So this was completely, like, uncalled for. And, you know, to, due to the leadership of the president, he was able to give them all the ventilators they asked for, all the beds that they wanted, uh, brought the core engineers and built up all these hospitals within days, which is unbelievable. So I think that was a mistake. And of course, we see now 50 to 70 percent of all the death comes from the nursing home. And we could have done a much better job. Absolutely. And I think for so many families, it was just such an insult because we all knew from the beginning, didn't we? We were warned that this uh, virus affects those that are most susceptible, especially the elderly, those with underlying medical conditions such as heart disease, HIV. Um, I talked to the HHS secretary about this, and he said the exact same thing. He said, you know, Governor Cuomo, uh, you know, initiated this. I mean, this was a process uh, that should not have happened. They should have been transferred to someplace else. It was strange because you're in New York. I mean, the Javits Center was basically empty. Uh, The USS Comfort, the ship that was there, there were other areas. I mean, were you questioning, like, why aren't they utilizing these facilities more? Or did you think they were being utilized? As As a medical professional, what would have been your determination as to what needed to be done? Well, I think there was a problem with the planning. I mean, you know, for example, like they stopped all the elective surgeries in the hope that, you know, all of these COVID patients will come in. So they didn't want to 
put, have burden on the hospitals. They claim was that there's not enough PPEs, there's not enough ventilators, so stop all the elective surgeries and stay focused on this. At the same time, they got over 4,000 beds available to them. I think we only used about a couple of hundred beds in the in the comfort uh, ship, and also at the Javits Center, we only used very small number of beds over there. So the planning wasn't so great, and and now we're getting into the blame zone. Um, if right. you talk to a lot of healthcare workers in those nursing home patients, they would tell you that they were not prepared to take care of sick patients like this. There was a lot of cross-contamination with the other patients, and this is a very fragile group of patients. These are elderly with a lot of medical issues, and any of these bugs can get to them, and that's why we had so many deaths as a result of these nursing homes. It's, it's, it's unfortunate that it went this way. Yeah, it really is. Um, I also think, you know, that there's been this, you know, constant drumbeat of like targeting the the President Trump and the administration by some Democrats trying to say over and over again, look, it's the president's, you know, the president should have uh, been warning people sooner. More action should have been taken sooner. But we're seeing based on what's happened in the states, the individual states, that there's issues with state leadership, that it's the states themselves that have been either under budget, not well prepared, uh, unable to execute what's most important for their patients. So I think there's a, you know, blame all the way around here as we look at this and try to get some lessons learned um, as we move into the future, because COVID is not gone yet. We don't have a vaccine yet. Uh, what's your what? Do, what do you think? I mean, do you think we well, have a lot of lessons to be learned here? A hundred percent. And I think that if you look at a lot of different videos from when President Bush was there and President Obama, there was always some talk about the possible pandemic in the future, but nobody really filled up the stockpiles of ventilators or medications or PPEs because nobody probably took it seriously. When it comes to President Trump, the very first thing that he did, which was extremely well done, was the travel ban. This is exactly what we needed during the time of Ebola. And I don't know if you remember me when I was on Fox News. I was screaming, you know, to have the travel ban because, you know, you cannot have Ebola coming to this country. It would be devastating. So the good thing about him is that he did what he did in January. And whether or not he gets credit for it, it's not important. His job is to save lives. And that's what he did. They asked him to ramp up the ventilators. He did. He put a U.S. task force. I think there are some shortcomings from the CDC standpoint, their way of communicating about like a lot of things, simple things such as wearing a mask to whether you get it from the surface to having like tests prepared to their uh, reagents, etc. That was not like really done well. But, you know, in any kind of pandemic, when you are hit with a big shock like this, unexpected, with intelligence that not, that's not accurate coming from China, um, these things can happen. I don't think we need to look back. I also will tell you that if this pandemic would have happened in 2017 or 2018, mm -hmm. and in the election year where we only are a few months away from that. So mm -hmm. a lot of things are playing a role in how we are managing these hospitals and the patients. And we just have to make sure that we save as many lives of Americans. And that's what's important. I want to ask you this because I know you're going to have an answer for it, but uh, a lot of criticism of President Trump came after he announced that he was taking hydroxychloroquine, that that was part of the regimen that he and his doctor had decided uh, to do in order to, in an effort to maybe mitigate uh, coronavirus. And I want you to listen to a clip from CNN's Chris Cuomo. The president knows that hydroxychloroquine is not supported by science. He knows that it's been flagged by people in his own administration. He knows that his own task force took a non-position on the drug when listing the protocols of how to treat COVID-19. But he got it in his head early on when he got it wrong that now it speaks to optimism. What's your response to that? Well... Look, I think the, the reason why people love President Trump is because of who he is. He's very transparent. He says it as it is. He doesn't need to hide behind anything. And if he was taking it, he talked to the public that he's taking it. Now, why was he taking hydroxychloroquine? Two staffers that were very close, too close to the comfort zone, came up with positive COVID. His best friend, Steve Chera, died from this. And it was a huge shock to him psychologically. The other friend of his, the Prime Minister of England, 
came two inches close to the ventilator and you put all of that as part of in his head and a discussion, a personal discussion between him and his uh, White House doctors looking at the risk and benefit. And if the benefit for him and his doctor is higher than the risk, then he went on and took the hydroxychloroquine. This medication works very early in the stage of the disease, before all the inflammatory cells, before the cytokine storm kicks in, before it takes over your kidneys and your heart and your lungs. And, you know, most of the studies that they're talking about, the mainstream media, is when it's already too late, when the disease is already taken over the systems, that medication and many other medications is not going to do anything. So this is a medication that has been around for decades. A lot of people have taken it. They're not dying from heart attack. It's very right. I, I've taken it. I've actually taken it myself when I travel overseas to Afghanistan or other places in the world where you know malaria is prevalent. Correct. I've taken. I've taken. I've Correct. taken it. So. And this article that came out in Lancet, which was only observational study, full of bias, and you cannot make any cause and effect decision or conclusion from this study, was taken completely out of control by WHO, and they stopped all of their clinical trials on hydroxychloroquine saying, you know what, this is not working, let's move on to the other things. And I think we, we needed WHO now even better than before to really do a good study to tell us exactly what the answers are. And instead, they just abandoned the whole thing and ran. I really think that the President Trump's decision in announcing that he was taking this is not to promote this medication. He couldn't care less if tomorrow M&M or Coca-Cola is going like, to you know, save people's lives from COVID, that's what he's going to take, or he's going to tell people to take. It's not Remdesivir or Ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or anything else. We want to make sure that we get people back to work, we open up America. 40 million people have lost their jobs, the unemployment is up, and, and if uh, he thinks that this would be a medication that would work, and we need more scientific data to back it up, then that's what he talked about. It's not personal. Well, right. And and you're right about that. There isn't enough scientific data to really understand the benefits of it early on, like you said, before the onset of the worst part of the virus. One of the things you just mentioned is so important, and it's something that uh, I think as a result of this lockdown is we've seen um, an increase in suicides. We've seen an increase in uh, domestic violence at home uh, in some areas. We've also seen enormous frustration, increase in depression, uh, as well as people not getting their medical checkups, just their basic checkups that could be life-saving and elective procedures. Uh, has that been a bigger problem, you think, as a result of the lockdown than, than the virus itself, than handling this virus in maybe a different manner? Well, if you would have asked me the same question 10 days into the pandemic, and the models that was coming in saying 2 million people are going to be dead, 1 million people are going to be dead, and if you remember the Surgeon General that came that said, this week is going to be our 9-11, this is going to be our Pearl Harbor, I would have told you that it's better to go into lockdown and protect right. our people based on that data. Fast forward two months after, or maybe three months after, people have been in their home, they haven't been working, they haven't earned any living, they have lost their jobs, businesses are losing all of their financial status, and as a result, everything that you mentioned is correct. Anxiety, depression, suicide, screening for a lot of cancers has gone down by 90%. We just published an article about the fact that a lot of advanced cancers are going to be coming to us in the next few months because these people would have been curable, and now we're seeing them. And it goes on and on and on. So I think it's time to open up our economy safely, responsibly. At the end, at the end of all of this minutiae, the vaccine may not be available on time. The antibody test may be correct, maybe not correct, some false positive, false negative. And you know what's going to save us? Herd immunity, which is what we spoke about in the first week of this pandemic. When 60 to 70 percent of people in this country are going to have this antibody, then it will be safe enough and the virus is not going to be as aggressive. So hand washing is easy. It doesn't right. cost much. Not touching your face, wonderful. Wearing a mask if you're not outside. For example, the criticism about President Trump not wearing a mask. If you're out there, you're in front of the beach and there's wind blowing and there's a sunny day, there's not too many people around you, I don't know how much a mask is going to help you. But in general, if you're around people, it's better to wear a mask. So with those basic simple things, <laughs> I think like we were able to go out there and do the right thing and save our country.
I, I absolutely agree with you. And if you, when you're talking to your patients and they, you know, I'm sure they express their concerns and they say, you know, in New York City, especially where there are so many people, uh, what do you do to reassure them? Do you, is there anything that we can do to reassure each other that there will eventually be an end to this? Maybe, you know, right. uh, maybe a vaccine or like you said, herd immunity. Is there is there any reassurance for those people that are really afraid that don't really well, want to? I think it's important for people who are down and depressed and they see that there's no hope for them to know that they're not alone. I think it's important that they all know that we're all going through the same exact thing, that we're all affected by this. And I think the lesson learned is in the future, don't depend on other countries to make your ventilators. We need to, as a healthcare, we need to become completely independent. The fact that 90% of our antibiotics is being made in foreign countries and in China, from national security, for many other reasons, it's not acceptable, Sarah. This is just not acceptable. We need to make sure that we roll up our sleeve as our Americans, open up our manufacturers, and start building things in America, which is exactly what President Trump is saying. America first. And we need to make sure that we get our act together. Um, that's all. And get help. If you are really depressed and you just don't know where you're going, call a friend. Call a psychiatrist. There's always people out there who would love to listen from you, and you're not alone. I think as far as the financial stuff goes, the country will come back. America is a beautiful country. I've been here for about 38 years. I love this country. I love my patients. No doubt, believe me when I tell you this, we will come back bigger, stronger, and much tougher. An example of, of America is New York. New Yorkers are very diverse. As you said, it's a melting pot. We will get through this. And I really hope the politicians will do the right thing because, you know, if we, do, if we help each other, nobody can stop us from getting back to where we were and much better. So I'm very, very optimistic and very hopeful. Well... I can't thank you enough. I think everything you've said is right on the money. I agree with you on bringing the manufacturing jobs back here to America. And I'm just wondering, Dr. Samadhi, when are you going to have another show? Because I I do remember you on Fox. I used to watch you every Sunday. You were amazing. I mean, I would go to you every Sunday for some medical advice. And um, you're actually you, so helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, can we hope for that in the future? Can we hope for another Dr. Samadhi uh, medical show? Well, we hope so, and I, I certainly um, hope that that will happen. We just started working with Newsmax TV and, and uh, some appearance on OAN, and hopefully I'm still open to do segments on Fox News. And I love watching you. You're always extremely informative and keep up the good work. And uh, we'll see. I think this program was great because it didn't matter whether you were Democrat or Republican or if you were white, black, blue, whatever color. Everyone came to get healthier. I love the show because we were able to help so many millions of Americans. Who knows? Maybe you would be co-hosting it with me. Together we oh. can do this. We'll see. <laughs> I would I would love that. I'm not a doctor though. I'm not I have to say I only play one That's on okay. TV. <laughs> That's okay. I was doing it with Eric Sean and Jamie Kobe. You just have to make us look good. That's all. That's right. Okay, it's a deal, Dr. Samadhi. I'm gonna it. take you up on this offer. <laughs> Thank you Thanks. so much for being with me today. I'm sure Great our to listeners you, appreciate it too. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Dr. Samadhi had a lot of good advice, you know. He's also the director of the men's health at uh, St. Francis Hospital. And he understands, you know, to a large extent, you know, when we have disease, when we get sick, it's usually because there's a lot of stress factors involved, too. And that they know, that's scientific, folks. And we're under a lot of stress right now. But... We are going to make our way through this. I said that at the beginning of the show. We are going to get through this together. And I really hope that, you know, for all of you out there that are just like me, you know, struggling to figure out, I mean, how best to handle this. And by the way, you know, it was great. I went to church on Sunday, by the way. That was the first time I'd been to church in a long time, in months. Um, and it was at half capacity, but it was it was so nice to be there. Uh, and and be with people uh, in a community that I that I love and care for and have a little moment to pray, you know, and to pray for our country and to pray for our president and to pray for our leadership, that they'll be wise and that we'll move in the right direction and that we'll be there for one another. That's what's important here. That's what makes our country so unique and so beautiful 
Remember, we open our arms to everybody. People from all over the world make America home. It is their home. It's our home. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter, you know, what religion you are or where you came from in the world. This is your home. And we do not tear our own home apart. We help build it up. We make it better. And if there's any group out there that you're listening to or you belong to or that you think is, uh, you know, going to help shift change in this great country, if they ask you to do anything that causes harm to somebody else or someone else's business, they're phonies and they're liars and they're using you. And they're not going to come rescue you when you go out there and, you know, in anger, understandably, sometimes people get very angry and you lose control and you and you do something that you'll regret later. Nobody's going to come rescue you. You're going to end up in jail. So think about that. Think about those things. Think about who you want to believe in, who you want to have faith in and how you want to get your message across. This is not about hating one another. This is about you and I as Americans. You know, Adam said this before um, we got on this, before we were on the show, you know, being inclusive of each other, of reaching out to one another and saying, hey, I understand you have a different experience in life than I do. And maybe, you know, I don't empathize enough with you, but I want to. And I want to understand what you've been through. Let me walk with you. Let me walk beside you. Let me help you. Let me hold you up. Let's hold each other up, America. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this show. This is the Sarah Carter Show. I am coming to you from Virginia. I will be back again this week with more. And thank you again. God bless. And be safe, be healthy, and remember... We're all one people. We got one country to fight for, folks. This is it. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end, it's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.